with your pastor. I have in the bulletin a scripture entitled for this morning's message, and it was in response to what happened this past week in Nashville. And then, through prayer, I never could find any peace about it. It's not that there's anything wrong with what I had prepared. I just don't think it's the right time for what I was going to say. This is... This is Palm Sunday. Yeah, who says Presbyterians aren't spirit-filled? Um, I would like, I was, the title speaks a lot for itself, and when you start talking about spiritual warfare, it kind of gets into some heavy text and some heavy ideas, and I did not want to take away from glorifying the Lord on this Palm Sunday. I would like to just share a few thoughts before we get into this morning's message, which will be from the Gospel of John. Uh, just a few verses from Revelation chapter 9. The fifth angel blew his trumpet and I saw a star fallen from heaven to earth and he was given the key to the shaft of the bottomless pit. He opened the shaft of the bottomless pit and from the shaft rose smoke like the smoke of a great furnace and the sun and the air were darkened from the smoke of the shaft. What is being described here in a heavenly vision is spiritual darkness overwhelming the earth. Some might look back at the tragedy in Nashville this past week and maybe think that perhaps that furnace has just been opened. But I would be very careful to say it's probably far beyond that. Some of you are old enough to remember that in 1950, back in the 1950s, I don't even remember his name, but a man published a magazine which was quite controversial at the time, quite shocking to many people, that had the centerfolds. There's always been a time when such things were around, but there was such a time when most people recognized that as a shameful thing. But it seems that in 1950s, when it began, it has progressively gotten worse. It's not gotten any better. People no longer repent of it. Many people brag about it now. We've gone from scantily clad ladies in magazines to young male drag queens dancing in adult entertainment centers. So if the angel was released to open up that bottomless pit to cause spiritual darkness, it happened a long time ago. It's just gotten progressively worse where we're beginning to feel the sting of the scorpion. 
please pray for the church in America. Please pray for the nation. Now, let's look at John's Gospel, chapter 5. We will likely return to that when we get, we, after next Sunday, we will return to our study of Revelation on Sunday morning. I'll be reading chapter 5, beginning at verse 19. So Jesus said to them, Truly, truly, I say to you, the Son can do nothing from his own accord, but only what he sees the Father doing. For whatever the Father does, the Son does likewise. For the Father loves the Son and shows him all that he himself is doing. And greater works than these will he show him, so that you may marvel. For as the Father raises the dead and gives them life, so also the Son gives life to him to whom he will. The Father judges no one, but has given all judgment to the Son, that all may honor the Son just as they honor the Father. Whoever does not honor the Son does not honor the Father who sent him. Truly, truly, I say to you, whoever hears my word believes him who sent me has eternal life. He does not come into judgment, but has passed from death to life. Truly, truly, I say to you, an hour is coming and is now here when the dead will hear the voice of the Son of God and those who hear will live. For as the Father has life in himself, so he has granted the Son also to have life in himself and has given him authority to execute judgment because he is the Son of Man. Do not marvel at this, for an hour is coming when all men who are in tombs will hear his voice and come out, those who have done good to the resurrection of life and those who have done evil to the resurrection of judgment. I can do nothing on my own. As I hear, I judge, and my judgment is just, because I seek not my own, my own will, but the will of him who sent me. Let us pray. Father, we ask for the blessing of your word, of your spirit, of your light upon this word, and we pray that we might see clearly your grace and righteousness is something we should hold ourselves accountable to, that we might be saved. We pray this glorify our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. Amen. What would you do with Christ? Why did Jesus come to earth? A lot of people argue about this. Some say that he's just been a good teacher, a good example. And we are to emulate his model, his life. Why did he come to earth? Once we know his responsibility, 
And yes, he had a responsibility. And once we know his purpose, we are able to take advantage of his mercy and his grace. Or not. What was the responsibility of Jesus? There is three quick points I'd like to leave with you today. There is a testimony about Jesus. There is the responsibility of Jesus. And there is the responsibility of man. Testimony about Jesus from himself and from his word and from his followers. There's his responsibility and then there is the responsibility that we are held accountable to. When we talk about testimony, we always, mind goes, our minds usually go to courts. We see them on television displayed and, and acted out. We some of us have participated. You've been called jury duty and you've seen the process face to face. In courts, testimony is given. Evidence is presented. Evidence is verified. What kind of evidence was there that proves who Jesus was? What kind of evidence is there who proves who Jesus is? Deuteronomy 19, verse 15, the Bible says, One witness shall not rise against a man concerning any iniquity or any sin that he commits, but the mouth by the mouth of two or three witnesses the matter shall be established. There's the principle. In fact, this is the scripture or the principle where our government, I like to think they still do, has the principle that you are innocent until proven guilty. By the mouth of two or three witnesses, the matter shall, every matter shall be established. Matthew 18, verse 16, the process of church discipline apply, appeals to the same thing, where it says, if he will not hear, if someone who is offended or offending has been addressed, he's been talked to about it, if he will not hear it, then take with you one or two more that the, by the mouth of two or three witnesses, every word shall be established. You get the testimony of something. You don't accuse a man who has been thought to be sinful. You don't accuse him by yourself. You get someone to witness it. If he does not repent, then bring it before the church. The same kind of a principle should, and I believe does, apply to any civil court. There's multiple avenues of evidence brought into court giving testimony to facts. Sometimes testimony to guilt or testimony to innocence. How many forms of innocence, testimony... Jesus himself said in our text, I can do nothing by, on my own. As I hear, I judge, and my judgment is just because I seek not my own will, but the will of him who sent me. If I test about, testify about myself, my testimony is not valid. The Lord Jesus in this text is applying himself to the word of God. His own word, his own authority. I will live according to my own word.
then Jesus begins with the most recent events in his life and he moves back in time about the testimony of who he is. In scripture, he talks about John the Baptist. There is another who bears witness about me and I know that the testimony that he bears about me is true. You sent John and he has borne witness to the truth. Not that the testimony that I receive is from man, but I say these things so that you may be saved. He, has, he was a burning and shining lamp, and you were willing to rejoice for a while in his light, but the testimony that I have is greater than that of John. For the works of the Father has given me to accomplish. The very works that I am doing bear witness about me that the Father has sent me. So the Lord Jesus was saying, John the Baptist was sent ahead of me. He was giving you testimony about my coming. My works, since I have come, give testimony about who I am and why I have come. And we also have testimony from Luke and Peter. 2 Peter 1.16, we did not follow cunningly devised fables when we made known to the power to you the power of the coming of our Lord Jesus Christ, but were eyewitnesses to his majesty. Peter said, We saw it all. That is our testimony that he is the Lord. Luke begins his gospel, inasmuch as many have undertaken to complete or to compile a narrative of the things that I have been accomplished among us, just as those who from the beginning were eyewitnesses and ministers of the word have delivered them to us. Luke says there have been many people giving testimony of who Christ was. So we have the apostles, we have John the Baptist, we have the works of the Lord himself. We can even look to extracurricular or extra-biblical texts outside of the Bible. Josephus is one. Pliny the Younger, who was not a believer but gave testimony to the life of the kinds of Christians, what kind of Christians they were. He could not understand that how they were faithful to one another and they loved one another, and he, he was questioning, why are we persecuting them? Persecuting them. So the testimony about Jesus includes his work, his ministry, his miracles. And as we've already read, the testimony that I have is greater than that of John. For the works that the Father has given me to accomplish, the very works that I am doing bear witness about me, that the Father has sent me. And in verse 37, he reminds them, the Father who sent me, has himself borne witness about me. His voice you have never heard. His form you have never seen. And you do not have his word abiding you, and you do not have his word abiding in you, for you do not believe the one whom he has sent. Do you all recall at the Lord's baptism? There was thunder from heaven, the voice of God. There was the presence of the dove, the Holy Spirit. 
the whole family of God was at his baptism. You remember the transfiguration account where the Lord was on the mountain and Elijah and Moses were there with him. Peter wanted to jump. Let's make, let's make booths of worship. Let's make little temples to each one of these. And the father said, this is my beloved son. Hear him. So we have all kinds of testimony about who the Lord was or who the Lord is. God also testifies in scripture. Lord Jesus himself made reference to Moses in verse 45 of John 5. Do not think I will accuse you before the Father. Your accuser is Moses on whom you hope your hopes are set. If you believe Moses, you would believe me, for he who wrote about me, for he wrote about me. But since you do not believe what he wrote, how are you going to believe what I say? beginning to see something that the Lord seems to be frustrated about those who do not want to believe who he is and yeah he might be frustrated but he is also transitioning from I am here as a redeemer I am also here as judge we don't think like that about Jesus very often but we're looking at our texts that is what he is here for. Not just Redeemer. He is judge. And he gives testimony about how they thought Moses was more important than him. But Moses talked about the coming of Messiah. And they weren't ready to receive it. Not to mention the testimony of Isaiah or Ezekiel or Daniel or Jeremiah. Scripture tells them by the testimony of two or three witnesses, every matter shall be established That applies to us too. We have multiple points of testimony about who the Lord is and even why he came. What is your conclusion? What do you do with Jesus? The Lord himself said, I do not accept praise from men. He's talking about establishing his authority at this moment. Of course he accepts pray, proper praise from his people. I do not accept praise for, from men, but I know, I know you. I know that you do not have the love of God in your hearts. I have come in my Father's name, and you do, he's speaking to the hypocrites. He's speaking to the unbelievers. I have come in my Father's name, and you do not accept me. But if someone else comes in, my, in his own name, you will accept him. How can you believe if you accept praise from one another, yet make no effort to obtain the praise that comes from only God? You want to know the problem of the church today? There are too many people who believe false prophets, who promote one another, who promote themselves, 
and they diminish the glory and necessity of Jesus Christ. If you accept praise from one another, you make no effort to obtain praise that comes from only God. That's the problem with the church today. So we see the testimony about Jesus. What is the responsibility of Jesus? Verse 21, as the Father raises the dead and gives them life, so also the Son gives life to whom he will. The Father judges no one, but has given all judgment to the Son, that all may honor the Son, just as they honor the Father. Whoever does not honor the Son does not honor the Father who sent me. Looking at our text, the, the Son gives life and the Son gives judgment. Two ends of the spectrum of authority that he is responsible for. And we don't often think of Christ as the judge. We only think of him as the Savior, the shepherd, the loving, compassionate friend. Too many Christians don't receive him as Lord. Too many Christians don't recognize him as king. They don't see him as sovereign. They don't even see him as authority in their lives. What will you do with Jesus? He has come to give life, and praise the Lord, many of us have received it. He also came for judgment. In our text, verse 25, I tell you the truth. The time is coming and has now come when the dead will hear the voice of the Son of God, and those who hear will live. For the Father has life in himself, so he has granted the Son to have life in himself. And he has given him authority to judge because he is the Son of Man. Why would he do that? That all may honor the Son just as they honor the Father. He who does not honor the Son does not honor the Father who sent him. You find a lot of people today who, oh, I believe in God, but Jesus was just a good teacher. Oh, of course God exists, but Jesus was just a good example. Such people are not redeemed. They are not saved. They are not true believers. What would you do about Jesus? The Bible says, who, he who does not honor God, or excuse, he, does, he who does not honor Christ or God is lost. This kind of attitude, this kind of response is kind of apathy. I don't care attitude. Uh, some say, I believe in God, I'm just not convinced all this religious stuff is that important. There are many ways to God. It doesn't have to come through Jesus. It's a lie. It's false.
If you're an Oprah Winfrey fan, you need to find a new model to follow because she's wrong, especially when it talks about eternal life. So there is apathy. There is bitterness or anger, anger in response to God by many. Maybe they're angry because he didn't answer a prayer. Or maybe they're troubled by all the world violence and wonder, why doesn't God intervene? What we need to realize today for all of us, even those who believe, that everything that we see in this world is a result of our own sin. God had promised long ago, you shall reap what you sow. And from genera one generation to the next, we have reaped violence. We are sowing violence, and that's why we have violence. But Christ came to redeem us from it, to take us out of it. So it is to him we look and hope and wait. We should not be bitter. We should not be angry. We should understand that this is just punishment for those who do not believe in order that they may turn from their wicked ways and turn to him for deliverance. But until then, they will suffer. And we must endure. Some respond to him with self-righteousness or some sort of their own religion. The Lord responded to that himself in verses 39 to 40 of that text, that, that chapter. You diligently studied the scriptures because you think that by them you possess eternal life. These are the scriptures that testify about me, yet you refuse to come to me to have life. There have been a lot of people who looked at the Bible and they've extracted all kinds of religion out of the Bible out of our Bible and they're wrong because they filter out the true reason why Christ came. And this text in John 5 says, I have come to give you life. If you do not receive me, after hearing all of the testimony, after seeing the testimony of my, my miracles, my works, my redemption, my resurrection, we might include if you do not receive those, then I will be your judge. What will you do with Jesus? You must remember, as his, he tells us, the Son gives life and the Son gives judgment. Testimony about Jesus, the responsibility of Jesus' life and judgment, and the responsibility of man. Verse 24, I tell you the truth. Whoever hears my word and believes him who sent me has eternal life and will not be condemned. He is crossed over from life, crossed over from death to life. Listen and respond. That's what we are to do. That's our responsibility. Hear and believe. I prayed earlier how easy, how simple, how plain the gospel is. Hear the word of the Lord and believe. Repent of your sins and turn. Forsake and embrace. 
It's that easy. But for many people, it's still the hardest thing they would ever do. Because we are so accustomed to the old life, the old way. It's like that has become kind of like our favorite pair of jeans with all the holes and the stains. They're just so comfortable. We like it that way. But he calls us to new robes of righteousness. And that takes some getting used to. I tell you the truth, whoever hears my word and believes him who sent me has eternal life and will not be condemned. He has crossed over from death to life. Note the tense of the verb. On that last phrase, he has crossed over from death to life. It's not will cross over. Has crossed over. You receive Christ as your Savior, you've already moved into his righteousness. You've already moved into his redemption. You've already become his. Past tense. The late Rudolf Boltman was a theologian. And I would say that with quotations, you know, air quotes. He denied the miracles of Christ. He denied his pre-existence. He mythologized the historical Jesus. He denied some of the things we're talking about this morning. Nevertheless, he still said something that's quite interesting coming from someone who's halfway there. Jesus' words are not instructive proposition, but an invitation and a call to decision. As from now on, there are only believers and unbelievers, so there are also now only saved and lost, those who have life and those who are in death. Even a man who did not believe it all understood it. I don't know why so many people without the formal education can't understand it. Lord said, do not be amazed at this, for a time is coming when all who are in their graves will hear his voice and come out. Those who have done good will rise to live, and those who have done evil will rise to be condemned. What will you do with Jesus? Will you hear? Will you respond to his voice? Or will you be apathetic? Or are you still clinging to bitterness? Or are you trying to live by your own righteousness, your own good deeds? He has come to give you a free gift. What will you do with him? If you're struggling with this, if you don't quite understand that it's necessary, then perhaps... Perhaps you need prayer. You need spiritual life. We go down to the pathology lab 
or the morgue and look through the door at the bodies on the dissection tables? Try calling out to them. Get up, come out, wake up. They're not going to listen to you. There are many people who are spiritually dead and preachers and Christians have been trying to witness to them for years, for generations. Repent, repent and believe. Turn and come to Christ. Trust and be saved. And they do not respond. Because of apathy, because of the clinging to bitterness, or because of their own self-righteousness, their own pride. What will you do with Jesus? We are about to share a table that remembers his last time with his disciples. It represents the sacrifice he provided for their salvation and for yours and mine. I don't want you to think there's any superstition in this, but this, this, this is a grace that we remember and we celebrate because of what he has done and how we trust in him, realizing that we once were lost, but now we are found. We once were blind, but now we see. We once didn't deserve any of it, and we now don't deserve any of it. But he gives it anyway. Let us pray. Lord Jesus, as we approach this table, may our hearts be ready. May our voices be glad. And again, may our minds be sober. May we recognize the reverence that is needed here, that we may rejoice together in Christ's holy name. Amen. Find your hymn books. Let's approach this table by singing verses 1 and 2 of 246, Man of Sorrows. <laughs>